You're on, Deanna. <laughs> Welcome to the Good Data Morning Show, everyone. It might not be morning where you are right now, but uh, it sure is where our guest is located right now, and that's Hawaii. I'm a little bit jealous. Uh, we are your hosts, <laughs> Deanna and George, and today's topic is a very exciting one, and that's sports analytics. Our guest's expertise uh, lies in data science, sports analytics, and he's a data science global ambassador for Z by HP and NVIDIA. He uses data and common sense to generate simple, implementable solutions to complex problems. And honestly, I think we need the skill in all areas of our life. Um, he has made it his mission to stay up to date um, the newest technologies and analytic techniques. For the past five years, he has been analyzing sports and business problems. He has worked with three major sports organizations and has amassed an arsenal of analytical techniques. He has a wonderful open personality. Uh, he's full of energy and good vibes, and you're going to love the show, everyone. Please welcome Ken G. Thank you guys so much hey, for Ken. having me on. <laughs> welcome. Oh, hold on. I need to. There you go. You're, you're <laughs> the person of the hour. So, so Ken, we were just talking about this, but uh, I wanted to ask how you're feeling. I know yesterday you shot this quick short and you had to eat a habanero pepper in the name of data science. <laughs> I, I wouldn't say I, I had to eat it. I, I chose <laughs> to eat it and I, I don't regret many things. Um, I did regret that decision that I made there. So, uh, <laughs> And everyone should definitely check out Ken Ken's uh, YouTube channel here, and uh, especially his his latest one. But obviously, there's there's a lot of videos that he's posting out, out here, very famous on YouTube, and for good reasons. A lot of valuable content. But uh, yeah, I, I think this one will grow quite a bit. It's a fun short. Yeah, well, you know, you're ma you're making me blush. I'm turning as as red as the uh, as the pepper made me. <laughs> So what, was it really that uh, that bad? You, know, you were feeling the burn. Some people might not might not think a habanero is that spicy compared to like a ghost pepper or a Carolina Reaper, but my spice tolerance, I think it's like okay. But mm -hmm. oh my goodness, that was hot. Um, <laughs> I, I've I've eaten one before. Just like I'm trying to improve my spice tolerance a little bit. Just I don't know why. I just like think it's an interesting thing to. I like the taste of habaneros as well, but. Um, no, it, it was it was rough, and hopefully, you know, it burned what data science is into the minds of of everyone watching. Well, at least it was Very for good. right, so it was a sacrifice, but for a good cause. Exactly, <laughs> I did it for the data, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, I you know, wanted to start asking questions, firing questions to um, Ken. So, right. tell us a little bit about um, about your journey. How did you get where you are right now? So, I think that it's it's more important to think in terms of my journey about the questions that I was asking my curiosities as I was growing up so growing up I've always been interested in sports so I played baseball in in as a little kid and that's what I thought I was going to do I thought I was going to be a professional baseball player right and I, I I also dabbled in golf and then I got hurt I, I blew up my shoulder playing baseball and I started playing golf competitively and I, I fell in love with it I said this is what I'm going to do with my I'm going to be a professional golfer I definitely wasn't good enough to, to have those, uh, the, to be vocalizing that, but, and some of my friends might tell you I was a little delusional at the time, but <laughs> it's what I wanted to do is what I believed in. And so I was always chasing this goal of trying to get better, uh, in golf. I was trying to improve my game in any way possible. Mm -hmm. And I ended up in college, uh, I was, I was playing there and I just got a little bit stuck. And I started taking some classes. I had no clue what I was taking. I ended up in an economics course, right? And a light bulb went off and I said, wow, I can use this to help me improve my golf game. And so I started looking at uh, like marginal returns. So what area of my golf game could I focus the most on that would give me the, the largest benefit for the time spent? And so I got really involved in that. I started tracking all of my data. It was very basic stuff. I was looking at like, general tendency, some averages across different hole types. I was looking at some standard deviations, wasn't anything advanced, but that helped me to get through this barrier of performance that, that I was struggling with. Like, wow, I have a roadmap for what I can do. And after college, I tried to play golf professionally. 
and didn't really work out. I, I learned about this concept in college in economics called opportunity cost. And I realized that I could spend a whole lot of time playing golf and probably not making it anywhere, or I could shift my focuses to something else. So I got really interested still in this, in this data around sports, but now I got interested in uh, understanding the game through these analytics at the professional level. So I started playing this uh, daily fantasy sports in the US uh, on this website called DraftKings. And you can, you know, essentially you're trying to predict performance and to, to essentially make money by, by, it's not betting technically, but by, by betting on your, on, your, on your outcomes. And so I started to try to build models there and understand how that system worked. And what I learned is that I didn't have enough technical skills to be able to build exactly what I wanted to build. So I kept chasing this question of now, how do I build a better model? And that started leading me closer towards data science. Turns out I did, I ended up interning at DraftKings uh, for a summer uh, before I went to my first master's program, which was in global business. And that opened the whole world. I was like, oh my goodness, they're using these advanced tools. I'd never heard of SQL to that point. I'd never heard of people using Python to analyze data. And the world got so big and I was like, oh my goodness, I want to keep chasing this question. I want to take this further and further. And so I kept taking that to my second master's degree, which was computer science. I just felt that I didn't have the, the programming knowledge that I needed to build a lot of these models that I was so fascinated with. And around that same time, I, I started working uh, in consulting at, at a company that, that I'm actually working at now, um, where we were doing sports analytics work kind of back on the performance side for professional players. So it came full circle and I ended up where I am in data science or introduced to all of these fields because I kept chasing questions I was fascinated with and the data science skill set just happened to be the tools that I needed to start answering these questions. I still haven't answered uh, any or really even all or even gotten to, close to answering some of these questions, but now I feel like I have the instruments or the ability that I can start tackling those things. We have some amazing comments. Donabel says, I love how you relive your journey. Your eyes still light up with excitement. And Susan Walsh is um, surprised that this is your second master's. And Susan, I have something to say to that because I looked up uh, Ken's profile and he has two masters and has graduated with the highest GPA among economic students. And this is amazing, but it's also discouraging. So that's everyone need to be super smart in order to get to. So, so, no, so to be fair, in, in college, in undergrad, so I transferred after three years, I was at a school where I wasn't enjoying, well, I wasn't playing golf there. And I, I, that's something that I said I wanted to do. I didn't get along with the coach. There's some other things. And my GPA there, I, I had like a 2.5 GPA. It was awful. I was a terrible student. I didn't, I didn't care about what I was studying. But I took my first economics course there. And there's some other personal things that happened in, in my life. I lost someone close to me and it gave me some new perspective. But a, a, a switch flipped and I said, wow, I can apply these economics concepts. I can apply these things to my life. And I just fell in love with it, right? There was just that one incendiary moment that completely changed the trajectory of my academic career. So I went from essentially a C student to almost a perfect student. I had some, some minor hiccups, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that it was essentially like over the course of one semester, I completely transformed my, uh, my learning journey and the way I, I my perspective on learning because it became fun and useful. Actually, I have a medium article I wrote on how I went through this process from like essentially like dunce to data scientist type of thing, which uh, anyone's welcome to check out if they're interested in what went through my mind and, and those types of changes. That's, that's very interesting. So I just want to say hello uh, to to everybody that is watching and we have people from all hey. over. Hi, Manu Shri from uh, Santa Clara, California. And we have uh, Guanola from France. Wow, all the way from France. And Kingsley here from Nigeria. And Donabel is actually local from Vancouver. Well, local to us. And uh, Giovanna is from Italy. So we're covering a lot of really time zones here. Chris from Minnesota and Bradley mm -hmm. from Baltimore, Delaware. Okay, so Thanks California, like I mentioned. Thank you. Really nice. So I think it, uh, I wanted to ask a question. I think it's the right moment to ask it. So if someone wants to get into sports analytics, um, what would be the steps? So from, from my journey, I mean, the biggest thing mm -hmm. is I was always searching for these questions, right? But I was also constantly building out tools or building out analysis to, to answer these. 
and I was sharing it. I was letting people know about it. And that's the first thing that you can do is you, you start to learn these skills by, by building projects, by putting stuff out there on the internet, by getting feedback, by talking to people who are involved in this industry. Uh, sports analytics is a little different than a lot of other professions. Uh, one, because it's a pretty small community. You think how many sports teams there are, you add in maybe, maybe double the amount of companies that are involved in that sports data space. I mean, it's a pretty small market if you're thinking about just the leagues, for example, in the US, right? So it's very tight knit, but it's a very vocal community on Twitter. Twitter in particular is a place where, you know, you, you follow some of the some of the guys, they're constantly tweeting about what they're working on, they're constantly interacting, they're constantly engaging. So uh, my, my two biggest things are one, do projects, put your work out there, and two, just share it with these people, try to get into the communities, try engage, be a citizen there. And you know, you're frankly, you're probably not going to get a sports analytics job applying through normal pathways unless you are just, you know, a rock star. Like I, I going through normal pathways, not through network or connections. If I were to apply to most teams, I probably would get rejected at a, a fairly high rate. I might have a very slight edge, but it's still, again, just a small market in general. So working your way in, a lot of these roles don't come up through the normal pipelines. They're all internal positions. They try to fill internally. And there's a lot of secrecy around sports data. So um, yeah, 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 exactly. So where do, how, how can a person do any projects without data or where do you get the data? So there's a lot of data still available on Kaggle.com. Uh, just to get started. You can find that on almost any type of sport there. I mean, it's not always up to date, recent, whatever it is, but that doesn't mean that you still can't find incredible insight from it. Something uh, good to get you started. Exactly. There's hackathons. Uh, also on Kaggle, there's the big data bowl that just happened uh, where the NFL puts out a bunch of their uh, play data and you can analyze it and come to a cool insight. I mean, that is probably, if you do well in that, that is the yeah. single best way to get recognition or to get noticed for a position in the league. They also just released, I believe it's a hockey cup. So it's dealing with hockey data, uh, which is new this year. I don't think they've done that in the past. Um, there used to be before COVID a, an NBA hackathon um, where, where they release data and you know you go for 24 hours or, or two days or whatever it is to, to come to some insight. Um, you can also, just find data through some of the different modules that have been built. So going on GitHub, looking at, at different packages. I know NFL Scrape R is, is used a lot in NFL circles to get play data and things like that. So it, it's just a matter of, of kind of searching around and, and I guess maybe also timing this correctly uh, with, uh, with what's out there what, at what point in time. I will say some data, for example, basketball data, golf data is very hard to come by. Um, hmm. and a lot of the times you just have to kind of scrape that stuff and just showing something there, if there is sparse data is going to still be valuable. Right. right. And so as a follow-up, how, how important is domain knowledge and data analysis? So in particular in sports analysis, sports analytics, should one really understand and know the sport very well in order to, to be more proficient at working with that data? Yes. So I don't think you necessarily have to know it extremely well as at, at the playing level, like as an athlete, they're not going to expect every, every one of their, um, uh, of their employees to have played like, you know, or tried to play professional golf like me. Right. Um, but you do have to kind of be a nerd of the game. You have to understand some of the nuance. You have to understand the, the lingo and, and the, and the kind of uh, the corpus of knowledge uh, that that's something that kind of, helps you to communicate up the chain of command. As, as surprising as this may seem, a lot of organizations in sports are still relatively antiquated when it comes to data, right? It's all about, you know, like, we trust this, you know, like, I have a gut feeling about this guy. He looks good on paper, quote unquote, it just means he's like big and strong. And you have to be able to talk that language, but also be able to convince people that maybe that isn't the correct approach to be taking. Uh, and, and that is a lot of artistry, you know, there's still that sentiment, unfortunately, in some some teams that it's like, why are we going to listen to what the data nerd says? He's never he's never um, you know he's never been on the field or or whatever mm -hmm. it is. Mm -hmm. So you really have to, unfortunately, kind of vet yourself in those ways and and be part of those conversations uh, that show that you clearly understand 
the landscape of the game and the nature of the game and the history of the game. Do you Got have it. to play the game? I don't think you have to play the game. I think it helps to play it at some level uh, occasionally, but I, I, I think that there are some, probably some of the best, um, the best analysts in the space have, have never, well, maybe when they were like a kid, like uh, to at most high school have, have, have played at that level. Though. But for sure, given that you've, you've uh, played golf professionally gives you an edge in, in the work that you currently do with that type of data, I would assume. For our work, uh, yes. Um, uh, golf analytics in particular is, it, there, there are players in it, but it is definitely one of the smaller spaces. And it is also probably one of the more traditional games. So it does help to, for me to be able to say, okay, you know, I played in college. I understand at least a little bit more about what a player is facing when they have a three foot putt to win. Right. I, I can understand what's mm -hmm. going there had a little bit more that relatability. It definitely helps us sell. Right. I mean, if, if we had no concept of how to marry that feeling with like what the numbers say, uh, I, I doubt we would have won the, the clients that we've won, but it's also a little different because we're doing consulting. We, we, have to sell those insights a little bit more than someone who's already working within that organization. And so is that your, is golf your favorite sport or uh, would you say yeah. maybe baseball? They're so different. First of all, you're, I guess you're hitting things in both of them, <laughs> but yeah, uh, one is a team sport and another one, not so much. So I've always been a little bit better at, um, at individual sports. I, mm -hmm. I, I think that, I want to have control over my own destiny. I want to, hopefully my, the guys I work with would say I'm an okay team player at least, but <laughs> I, I think that there is something uh, a little bit beautiful about golf where you take a lot of the variables out of it, right? Mm -hmm. It is you versus yourself when you're out there. I mean, you're playing against the field, but you're trying to optimize in every single location you are or, or where you hit it, whatever it is. So to me, it's a fun game because it's, it's so beautifully quantifiable, mm -hmm. right? If I go out and it looks incredible when I'm hitting it, but I score higher than someone else who, you know, like they're all over the place, but they're making every putt, they still beat me. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's such a fascinating, um, like, like part of the game that there's so many different ways to get this done. There's so many different ways to, at the amateur level, get it, get it in the hole is, is something that's always drawn me to it. And there's also this idea of, of chasing like this illusory perfection, right? Mm -hmm. Like I, I can never play the perfect round of golf. Um, I can, you know, make small adjustments and slowly, slowly get better, but there's, there's no perfection. That's always just up in the air. We, we have a question here from uh, Gaurav, and sorry if I'm mispronouncing your name. What do you see the future of sports analytics going towards? Let's let's focus on this part of the question for uh, on, um, and you know, do you do you foresee any maybe more uh, I guess online betting happening as a result of these data sets becoming accessible? Yeah, well, I mean, that's the biggest the biggest change that I'm really uh, expecting. So I think it was two or three years ago uh, in the U.S. they essentially made it not illegal to bet on sports. So each individual state now has the right to monitor how sports betting is done in that individual state. Some states can keep it illegal. Some states can open it up, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But that, you know, opening the floodgates there means a lot more people are going to be interested in this data and predicting outcomes. So in sports analytics, there's a couple main branches. So you have, excuse me, what I do, which is like performance analytics. We're trying to help players and teams improve so they can win. Right on the media side, you have storytelling, right? You're trying to engage the fans. You're trying to make it more interesting for them uh, through the data. And then um, there's also the betting side, right? Where you're trying to predict what is going to happen. And that's a completely different area than, than what I do for the most part. Like, yes, predicting outcomes is kind of important, but you're using that as, as a baseline to measure how uh, these other things that we're changing are going to change this, this kind of win threshold. So, um, I think we're going to see some really awesome, a really awesome understanding of what produces wins and what we can use to understand what drives other things or individual player performance is going to be a very fascinating thing for me, especially with the growth of daily fantasy and those types of things. Right, uh, right. There's also going to be a live betting element. I know that 
um, like during the course of games rather than it being quarter by quarter. In golf, you might be able to bet on every single shot, which opens the the scale for the, the amount of betting and the potential arbitrage or potential to lose a lot uh, quite a bit more. And you know, uh, there's already a bet going on here in the chat. Susan is asking science or sports, you have to choose one and people are already taking their shot at, at what you would pick. <laughs> so uh, what would it be, science or sports? Oh, See, they're, they're the same thing to me, right? I look at yeah. all of these things as part of a system. So completely dodge your question, Susan. So maybe Ravid kind of got it right that uh, you might say science with sports. <laughs> In a sense, yes. <laughs> so uh, Kingsley has a, a follow-up here. You did mention that sports analytics is a very small industry, but there are definitely a lot of different sports out there. So do you need to have the domain knowledge in all sports, or do you really just focus on one sport when you go into the sports analytics? Or do you try and be a little bit more broad and try and cover where you know whatever? You know, I, I personally, I think it helps to have first just a base, like maybe you do one or two projects across a couple different sports, and then you find one you really like and you're most passionate about and really dive into that one. Uh, I, I think that for the most part, creating really, really deep opportunities with advanced knowledge is how you land one of those positions. Like, let's say I wanted to work for a basketball team mm -hmm. in basketball, right? And I built an analysis that I could cater to every individual team that could potentially help them with their decision making. And let's say I sent that specified analysis to every director of analytics in the NBA, right? To me, like you're doing everything you can to essentially get called in for an interview or whatever that might be. You're helping them with a specific problem for their unique need. And, um, that's how I would approach any job situation. If you're really, really committed to, to breaking into the space, which unfortunately it takes a lot of commitment. It is, it is difficult to get in, but it's about thinking, you know, very specifically about how you can help people rather than, um, you know, thinking vaguely like, Oh, they, they did some analysis on this. Maybe they could apply this here. Why not show them exactly what you could do and they'll eventually pay you for it. Hopefully. Yeah. And, and can, you know, what about you, as Donabel mentioned here, if if you weren't in sports analytics, then which industry or vertical do you think you would be in and why? Um, so I love food. I'm like a huge foodie. I eat everything. I, I'd probably <laughs> like to get into the restaurant space. You know, maybe I'd have like a little... Fooding spicy stuff. Food spicy. analytics. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I, I mean, that's that's like really one of my other passions. Um, I also obviously enjoy teaching. So, I mean, most of my content on YouTube isn't even uh, about sports analytics, right? It's just mm -hmm. more general data science projects I'm working on, things I'm fascinated with. So uh, you could say that I already have a space in teaching that, that isn't related to the sports analytics in general. Right. Can I, I'm, I'm wanted to ask a, a question. So I, I'll be very honest, my limited knowledge about sports analytics before actually talking to you was, okay, we're predicting results. We are betting on who wins, but it's much more than that, right? So it's competition analysis is analyzing where you are in relation to other people, right? Can you please talk a little bit more about that? Just, I mean, briefly. Sure. So I, I a really good case study uh, would be, let's take like the NFL, right? And these teams, they're, deba they're debating if they want to trade for a player, uh, if they're going to renew a contract, how much they're going to pay this person. The holy grail in kind of the work that I do is figuring out how to value a player perfectly. So you can know if you're paying them too much, paying too little, because in a lot of these leagues, they're salary caps, right? You have to have the best team. You have to optimize your team based on the budget that you have. And so to me, that's, that's always you know, a question that every team is looking at is, well, how much should we pay for this person? Are we undervaluing or overvaluing them? How are they going to perform next year based on our projections? How much risk can we assume if we, if we, you know, trade for this person? How are they going to integrate with our existing team? So even just from that one valuation question, mm -hmm. there's so many factors as you can see. Mm -hmm. into it. So I really like to look at all of those individual components underneath that hood first. Uh, because I don't think we can hope to answer that broader question of value without first exploring kind of the underbelly there. Does that help to kind of frame like, okay, this huge question leads to all these little questions and that's when we start going down these rabbit holes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 
And uh, oh, sorry, I thought I, I was putting another question up that you actually answered. But so this is another one from Chris. What is your view on analytics making too much of an impact on crucial situations in a game? So it's interesting. Let's take basketball, for example, right? The, the trend is to start just shooting three-pointers. You shouldn't take a mid-range jump shot. I will say that that does detract from some of the beauty of the game, right? Michael Jordan was explosive. He was so exciting to watch, and he took a lot of pretty crazy, like, low-percentage mid-range two-point shots. Um, it definitely changes the game, right? As, as a fan, admittedly, I might not even like watching some of these sports as much if, um, if the analytics are ruling the game. On the other hand, it can improve some of the, the excitement or something like that. For, for example, in, in the NFL for football, like teams are far more conservative than the numbers say they should be. Like they should be going for it on fourth down probably a lot more than they do. And to me, that makes it more exciting. I don't really like watching people kick field goals or punt it away when maybe they shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that there's a trade-off. It's going to be unique with every sport. It's going to be unique to the specific situations. If mm-hmm. I'm getting paid though, and my, my role is to um, help these teams win, I don't have a problem with it. You know, it's, it's, it's a fairly cutthroat industry. Like you get, like you're, you make it or break it based on if you win a championship or the number of wins you get in a season. So um, I, I don't think it's necessarily like wrong or controversial to want to optimize how you're doing things. We do that in other parts of our lives without getting criticized for uh, you know, our creativity or, or our style associated with it or how we did it. Right. Absolutely. By the way, as, as you're giving us all these wonderful insights, the, um, the people that are watching the show, some of them are, they would, it seems that they want to find out a little bit more about the, the spice pepper video. So definitely go check out, uh, Ken's YouTube channel over here and you'll be able to watch it right after this show. It's, uh, it's a bit crazy, isn't it? Yeah. And um, now that yeah, George, do you have a oh. Yeah, just 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 a couple more things just because the the food analytics piece is um is picking up it seems as a trend during the <laughs> chats too. King, Kingsley is definitely recommending Af- African foods if you haven't tried it. And I, I love African. So my my roommate in Chicago uh, was Nigerian. So yeah. he, he would all his family would come and make food. He'd, we we found a couple pretty good restaurants in Chicago and I, I love it. There, there is spicy food out there, so Yes. Um, Maybe that'll be the next one. And Donovan has a new hashtag for you, food analytics. And speaking of hashtags, though, can you tell tell us a little bit about your uh, sixty day, uh, sixty six days of data? And show us your t-shirt. Yeah, yeah, show us your t-shirt. Yeah, I got, I got my t-shirt. I'm rubbing my own <laughs> flag here. So, um, sixty six days of data is just an initiative that I started, I guess, in the middle of last year to help people kind of break down the barriers for getting into the field of data science. So 66 days is important because according to, I think it's James Clear's big habits guy, it takes around 66 days mm-hmm. for the average person to ingrain a new habit. Mm-hmm. And when we're learning data science, when we're learning one of these fields, it's not about the, the lump effort that we put in. It's about creating good, maintainable learning habits over the course of essentially your whole career, right? I think that me figuring out how to do daily learning is something that will carry me a lot further than me studying for, for two and a half months, just really hard and then never studying the basics or, or learning new concepts again. So that's something I really wanted to stress. And you know, the, the first requirement of the data is to just do data science for, or learn data science every day for 66 days straight. And the minimum threshold is five minutes. So we're not trying to kill ourselves. We're just trying to like, just get into that routine of doing some learning every day. The second component, which is the only other requirement, is to just share what, you've, what you're working on or what you worked on during that day. The other thing that I think is really important for breaking into this field is to get used to sharing your work, getting used to putting yourself out mm-hmm. there. I mean, you get feedback, which is really important. I mean, people celebrate your work, but you also break down that feeling of, of, of communication. I mean, as data scientists, one of the most important things, our, our work is completely useless if we're not giving it or handing it off to someone, right? Off to a stakeholder or or even, I guess, like articulating the value to ourselves. So that's the second part is just share your work, build a portfolio. Um, and this is an awesome opportunity to do that with a great community. We have over 4,000, yeah, over a little over 4,000 people in the Discord server. There's people 
uh, posting their progress every day, asking incredible questions. The community even answers the questions. Um, we have, you know, we have uh, a bunch of giveaways. Uh, and I know Ravit's in the chat. He's giving away a couple of the books from PAX to the community. Um, NVIDIA has given away a bunch of their Deep Learning Institute credits. 365 oh, wow. Data Science has given away a bunch of their uh, three-month-long, I guess, like lear learning sessions for free. And just a ton of, of great resources that are only possible by people coming together and sharing, which I think that's, is just... Yeah, that's an incredible initiative. So if you haven't joined already, please do and follow the uh, uh, 66 Days of Data hashtag. Awesome. So... Um, yeah, do you mind if I take a few more questions here? Yes, please. There's so many amazing There's questions. There's tons, yes. They keep on coming in. And I'm so sad that we can't hear everyone, every every single question. So Donabelle is asking, how much does current sports analytics practices extend to esports? And what would be the big opportunities or challenges? I I love this question. I, Although I don't play that many esports, that is an area where I would love to get into. I think mm -hmm. that there's so much data. It's so well collected. It's so mm -hmm. well collected. Granted, it's very big. There's a lot of data there. Yeah, big data. Huge opportunities there. I mean, there are the professional esports teams that are making as much as professional athletes now, right? I mean, that is the next big frontier. I will say, I think the biggest avenue, and if anyone wants to work on a project related to this with me or or to start a company or something like that, is, <laughs> um, is creating the betting lines for esports. Inevitably, People are going to want to gamble on these things. And I, I did get this from my friend, Nick Wan. Uh, he, he's a Twitch streamer uh, in data science. Very cool stuff. Check him out as well. But, um, you know, it's really hard to make the lines for these things, right? If, so you can say, oh, what team is going to win? But there's no, there's no analytics around the prop bets. So, like, how many headshots is this person going to have in this game? Or, you know, like, how, what's the over-under on the, the time that this, this game is going to take? Or some of these other things. So... For me, that's such a cool area for growth and a really good business opportunity, frankly. Mm -hmm. And I'd say I'm in an okay position, but not an incredible position to, to tackle that market. Uh, but the huge corollaries between between regular sports and esports in my mind. Um, and uh, Gaurav, thank you for bringing this up again. Sorry, I, I forgot to address the second part of your question. Uh, but Ken, can you can you share your insights on fan engagement using data science, data analytics? So I think that's probably the the broadest area of data science. That's, I mean, it, data analytics in sports is there's probably more roles in the fan engagement side. Um, what I love though is seeing more true fan engagement, which is blog posts from the fans, like like getting data from from Twitter of what the fans think about the game, getting involved getting them directly involved with what's on the screen, you know, having polls about who you think, what, what fans uh, will think, uh, which, which team the fans think will win and those types of things. That to me is the true culmination of all what sports is, right? Especially mm -hmm. in, the, in the era where now we're going to a live sporting event is difficult. Mm -hmm. how, how do you build that fan interaction in with technology and how do you visualize it? How do you make it exciting? How do you, how do you get a similar feeling from that to me is incredible. Um, on the other side of that, though, is that like, um, what was the question one more time? I don't want to go down too long a rabbit hole. Um, yeah. Okay, fan engagement. Um, the other side is how do you get the fans to have skin in the game? And I think that daily fantasy, fantasy sports, sports betting is another way to do that, right? You want to talk about true engagement, people are putting money on the line and they're going to be engaged in that game, right? If it's coming out of their pocket or, or they have their fate tied to it, uh, I, I think that that's a very powerful thing. And I should say mm -hmm. I don't I don't condone sports gambling or even playing daily fantasy for that matter. Um, that's there's major risks associated with that. Mm -hmm. But from a commercial and a and a, like a data perspective, it's a very fascinating space to me. Right, the incentives are different. the 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 data around it is very interesting and different, and um, it's a very interesting case study. I'll, I'll leave it at that. And uh, really quickly back to esports, uh, Donna was mentioning that would be interesting to see how keystrokes per minute correlate with or cause chances of win of uh, winning. And uh, yes, uh, Donna, you you keep on uh, referencing StarCraft. That's <laughs> definitely a classic. Yeah, I mean that that those are the types of things I I'm really interested. I, I would say I I would um, I I hate to pr plug my friend Nick Nick Wayne again, but he's been doing he did StarCraft and uh, no not StarCraft he did. Um, League of Legends analytics on his Twitch stream once. He's done um, 
oh my goodness, what's the uh, it's a game where you're you're in your cars and you try to hit a ball into a goal. Oh right, right, right. Um, um and something sports. Yeah, and more recently he's been doing um uh bull riding analytics, which I think is pretty cool. So um if you're looking for kind of the the fringe or some really unique data science topics, that's a that's a good place. And I'm happy Rocket League. Oh Rocket, you're right. Uh Jordan, I'm happy to make that introduction to, to you and Diana if, if you ever want to have him on, on our show. Oh, oh it would be a pleasure. Thank you. I ha I have a question, which I hope is not a stupid question, but I'm not a data person. So I'm more of on the business side of project management and so on. So I, I see here that what you the the um, tools that you're using to do sports analytics are or the methods under those methods I, I saw war gaming. Um and my question is can any data scientist um do you need to learn these things, especially for sports analytics, or is this something that a data scientist already knows? So, so the wargaming part is actually a fairly unique aspect of the company I work for. So the CEO, uh, Jason Aquino, he, he worked for the DOD for about 10 years, and his focus there was this, this concept called net assessment. And it was understanding how you know a country can have sustained success for hundred, you know, not hundred, like 10 to, to 50 years based on the decisions they're making by allocating their resources. And so for him, his background is all in doing this war gaming and, and integrating that into the decision-making of companies, right? So as a company, we want to figure out, let's pretend we're, we're a country, how we can create a sustained advantage or we can create sustained success. I mean, there's probably a little slightly more rules around um, how com companies operate than, than countries do in, in wartime, but a lot of the same concepts still apply. You know, Jason, he's not necessarily a big, a big data person in the same way that I am. Uh, I'm bringing that element and plugging it in together with some of his experience there. So it's a very unique and, and kind of fun combination, especially related to sports, right? Sports, you have one team versus another team, right? You're trying to exploit all of the different, uh, weaknesses that they have you're trying to optimize and maximize all of your strengths and you're also you know doing things like spreading misinformation right like not a lot of teams do this but it's not unheard of is saying that like we're interested in one player for a trade like tweeting it out quote unquote accidentally or something to get other people to think you're interested in it and they make a poor decision based on that player because they thought you had interest in them and you know there's a whole uh, I guess like a game theory tactic that's that's at, at underlying level there. So we don't we don't necessarily get that deep into the analytics for for all of our clients, but those are avenues that that you can go and you can get quanti uh, quantitative with. Hmm. I think that that might not, not have answered your question at no. all. But <laughs> It was very it, no no it, it was very interesting. I as I said, this is something that is not necessarily very. Um, I, I don't know it that that well. You could have fooled me. <laughs> yeah, well, I just hope that my contribution to the show is more for uh, you know for the from the business side when George George is the the expert on on data. So I try to ask answer questions from you know another perspective. Awesome. And Diana is definitely. That an expert on, on change management, which I think is really crucial in anything, any, any well, work and, you know, personal life balance as well. Particularly um, but, uh, and, and speaking of which, Bradley has a, maybe a more personal question here. How do you describe your work-life balance <laughs> as we were just talking about? It? Yeah. <laughs> Over the show. Interesting. So I um, actually made a video about this last week and I, I don't believe the papaya balancing. Exactly. That's, that's all I, that's all I see when I, I, I answer this question, but I, I personally don't believe, I think work life balance is, is a myth to a certain extent. Right. And, um, let me clarify That's a fairly aggressive statement to make. I think that balancing your life on a day-to-day -day basis is almost impossible, right? There's no way that I can balance my health, um, my interpersonal relationships, my work, my hobbies, um, my spirituality, whatever it is, all together in a single day. That would really stress me out if I had to worry about keeping those buckets on an even keel. 
over the course of a couple of weeks, over the course of a month, over the course of a year, though, I think that you can find balance across all those things. So the way I function is that some days I work a lot on my day to day job um, and, you know, maybe I'll have some socialization or, or do some of those other things. But I'm only fulfilling a couple of those buckets in that day. And then, you know, another day I might completely only focus on content creation or something like that. But over the course of, you know, three or four weeks, that all evens out. And I would think that I have a pretty decent work-life balance uh, over that course of time. But on a day-to-day -day basis, it's, it's a little bit hectic. So um, I would say between the, the, my, my main job and my, my YouTube channel and, and, you know, doing speaking and things like that, my life is a lot, um, I, I probably work more than, than the average person. But over the course of a couple of months, I would say my life is also slightly more balanced than, than that of the average person, if that makes sense. That makes sense. That's, yeah, and thank you. And I, and I think you're, you're completely right. Uh, I mean, thinking at my, and looking at my own life, yes, um, I, I think I can resonate quite a bit with, with your message there. Yeah, I mean, so, someone recently told me this, and that, you know, like, there's no, um, there's no static states in nature, right? Like life is a balancing act. There is mm. never a point where it is balanced. So mm. I think that that's kind of a fun thing to think about is that, okay, wow, today was really hard, but tomorrow's an opportunity or the next week is an opportunity to level things out and make sure that I'm, I'm maximizing or, or touching everything that's important to me. And speaking of balance, Donabel has a question. Do you think analytics is a great equalizer? You know, how about for sports that are predominantly representing specific segments of a population. And Donabel, I think uh, we need to give you some sort of a word somehow, just yeah, because you're asking that. such excellent questions. <laughs> yeah, she deserves a prize. So I think in a certain sense it is. Um, I will say that at the same time, I think that access to analytics is not available to everyone. Um, and so as much as it can help equalize things, I think that there, to a certain extent, is unequal access of data or to resources or hmm. to people. Um, and I also think that although it does equalize things, a lot of people are still resistant and hesitant to it. So there will always be inequality. It'll probably just be because some people aren't adopting it, uh, even though a lot of a lot of signs point that they should be. And so, Ken, uh, you were mentioning the data access that uh, there's really not too much data available for public use. So in your work, how are you procuring that data? Are, is it because the organization that you're working with or the teams that you're supporting, they're collecting that themselves and sharing that with you? Yes, a, a large portion of it is. Uh, so for example, for golf, there's this large data set called uh, ShotLink. Mm -hmm. And ShotLink is only accessible to PG Tour players or you know, people who are doing research related to golf. You have to go through a bunch of loops or through contracts with the organization. And so we have a, a contract with the players to be able to get that data. Uh, for basketball, there's this data set called spe Second Spectrum, which is something I, I think anyone could pay for it. It's pretty expensive if you're, if you're accessing it that way. But um, we get that through the teams that we work with or like the, the yeah. So, um, you know, I, I, in theory, cannot bet on golf or basketball if I were to do that. It's illegal in Hawaii, so I don't. But um, because of that access to privy information, I, I don't think it's illegal. It's just a really big gray area, and it'd be pretty bad optics to, to clients right. or whatever it is. Right, right. It'd be good advertising if we were good at it. But um, <laughs> yeah, the, the optics and the, and the proprietary nature is, is something we care uh, a lot about. I wonder how it is in UK. I know there's a lot of online betting for soccer matches over there. Maybe Susan could pitch in on that. But I wonder if they do have access to all this data and they're able to to make better better estimates and bets there. That's possible. I mean, uh, for for soccer, there's there's some pretty stuff, cool stuff going on as well. Mm -hmm. company, I think it's still called the Twenty First Club um, that they do a lot of uh, a lot of analytics for the Premier League teams. And it, I mean, it's a growing space. Soccer and basketball are, are, are interesting because they're dynamic games, right? So golf, you pause after every shot. Baseball, you, every pitch, the game comes to a complete stop. There's discrete events. Same with football, even like a play is a discrete event. Um, and basketball and soccer, the, the ball doesn't stop very often, right? So you're, you're <laughs> having to draw lines between plays 
and, and things like that. And that's a whole nother kind of wrinkle that you have to throw into it that makes it more difficult to analyze. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think that with an answer to your question, George? Oh, um, I bet they do behind closed doors. Yeah, maybe <laughs> like a flutter on the horses. <laughs> There's, there's a great story about, I think it's in Hong Kong. Uh, there's this team, they made essentially billions of dollars betting on the horses. And, you know, like they implemented some crazy machine learning model. And uh, there was, a, I forget what, it was like in Vice or something. They wrote an article about it. And it, it was the coolest thing to me that, that, you know, this guy just, that's all he did is he just like went into a, a cave over there and they, they like illegalized it. Uh, for him to engage in anything. So he's using proxies, he's using different people to go in and place the bets. And interesting. Uh, yeah, it's a wild story. I gotta Maybe look I'll that have up. one of those like that one day. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. So uh, Ken, do you think every team, if not already, will they have their own data scientist? Um, I actually don't think they will. I think that at least in the next 20 years, there's still mm -hmm. going to be people or organizations that lag behind. Um, I think that the teams that do leverage data effectively and they create a good culture around integrating it into the decision-making will have a lot of success. Um, on the other hand, I think that sports are always going to be a little bit traditional, right? There's always going to be people that are good at what they do intuitively that just don't think that someone who is coming in without having played at the highest level can can help make decisions or help improve the game. And, you know, that's, I think, a short sight, but yeah. it also, you know, coming from someone with an experience like that, it, it, it doesn't intuitively, like, gut-wise not make sense. So mm -hmm. I think that, you know, we'll see absolutely more advancements in, in data science in sports but it will happen unevenly. There's going to be people that who've already created a good infrastructure, a good system that are going to be way ahead. And there are going to be people that are always trying to catch up. Makes sense. So, so we're, we're coming to an end here, but Diana, did you have something yes, to yes, mention? I just wanted to say that Susan replied, my method is very scientific. I go with the name of the horse I like. <laughs> That's a very, very good way of doing it. Yes. I, um, I think I would too. That's the most and tested uh, approach. So <laughs> we highly encourage it. Um, Ken, how many followers do you have? On which platform? <laughs> Any, the one that is the most spectacular. I think I'm hopefully in the in the next couple of months I'll, I'll eclipse the 120,000 mark on YouTube. Which you wow! Know, I, I think followers, subscribers are really nice. Uh, you know, my, I'm grateful for for everyone who who, who is willing to you know, engage with my content on a regular content on a regular basis. But, you know, my focus is on really producing the content that creates value to individuals. I mean, the, the greatest joy for me is not seeing the subscriber membership number, whatever it is, uh, go up. Yeah, that's just a benefit. Exactly. Honestly, the thing I enjoy the most is interacting with the community, seeing people grow and watching them over time and, you know, having people comment on my videos saying that, hey, you know, this was really meaningful to me and here's why, because one that gives me data that helps me make more useful things in the future. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I just, I really enjoy that aspect. I've met some incredible people, including yourselves because I've been producing content and, and, you know, those tight knit or, or closer relationships to me are, are what, where the real value comes in. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, something I do, I still respond to, I believe almost every comment on my YouTube channel um, and that's a testament to how much I, I appreciate it when people do engage. Absolutely. And again, you do have an amazing YouTube channel. Let me put it up here again. So uh, anybody that is watching, listening in, please, let's make this happen. Uh, he's at 119,000 subscribers. So uh, <laughs> thousand, sorry. And uh, he has amazing content. A lot of A lot of videos that you can learn from as a starting data scientist or more, mm, I guess, Maybe mature would be the more experienced. Yeah, that's a better word. More experienced data scientist. One last, maybe perhaps, I guess a, a shameless plug would be that uh, <laughs> one, one, one area of focus for this upcoming year is really growing my podcast, um, which is called Ken's Nearest Neighbors. It's, it's also on YouTube, but I, you know, I'd love to have you guys 
on on the podcast uh, at some point. I've had other incredible LinkedIn influencers, data scientists, YouTubers, uh, just very interesting people from my network and, and my space. I, I've had Andrew Jones is coming up in a couple of weeks here on the podcast as well. So yeah, he I, just joined actually. Oh, awesome. <laughs> Looking forward to seeing that. And I know I watched uh, the one with Christina. Yeah. And that she, was that was very she's an absolute rock star. That that's, she is um, been incredible. So but if, you know, I'd love to have you guys on as well. That would be Appreciate it. Uh, so if we were to summarize, it's the 66 days of data to follow the hashtag. Perfect. Then the YouTube channel, the podcast. Yes. And um, I know that you have a blog as well. Yeah, so I, I haven't written on Medium that much. One of my big, um, yeah, well, I, I have, but I haven't recently. One of my big pushes for this year is to redo my personal website and, and also start a newsletter. Um, I think a newsletter is a great way to make that more personal touch. Um, I, I've loved sharing the work that other people have done that I've read. You know, a lot of my friends have shows like yours or they have um, you know, podcasts or Medium content or YouTube videos that they publish that I get a ton of value out of. I would love another way to be able to share those things, you know, rather than just Twitter or whatever it is in a more right. fashion. So, Ken, that means right now you're mentioning you have a 60 to 70 hour work week. It means that you'll need to add a couple of extra hours there for it. Hopefully, I'm getting help for some of these things. So, um, yeah. maybe one or two extra hours. So. Good point. Good point. Well, thank you so much for coming on the Good Data Morning Show. I hope everybody had as much value as we did out of it. And Kenny, it was such a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks I really so much. This. Um, I, yeah, always a pleasure to talk to both of you. <laughs> yes. Likewise. Thank you. And I you. also want to thank everyone who joined and for all the amazing comments, for the funny comments as well, for the great questions. And if we didn't get to your questions, I'm sorry, but we really appreciate the, the engagement and we hope that we covered all the questions that you had for Ken. All right. Thank you again, everyone. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks. Bye, Bye. everyone.